because Calvary Chapel is a family. It always was, and it will always be. It's a family of churches. Yeah, every church is independent, and we we have our own things and visions and, and things that God is using us in our city, in our culture. But at the same time, we're family all over the world, not only in Ukraine. Welcome to the CGN Mission and Methods Podcast, Season 4. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I will be your host this season. One of the things CGN exists to do is to provide care for those in our network who are serving God and serving others. Calvary Chapel has had a presence in Ukraine for nearly 30 years with around 20 churches in different cities throughout the country. Recently, a group of CGN leaders traveled to Western Ukraine to encourage those in the Calvary Network who have been ministering to others since the beginning of the war. The purpose of this retreat was to provide a place to recharge physically and spiritually. And during the retreat, I had a chance to sit down with Zhenya Chakushkin, the leader of the Calvary Chapel Network in Ukraine, and give him the opportunity to share some of the stories of what God has been doing in and through the Calvary Chapel churches in Ukraine over this past year. I hope you'll enjoy this bonus episode of the Mission and Methods podcast. Next week, we'll be back to our regular schedule. Here's the episode. Welcome to the CGN Mission and Methods podcast. This is Nick Cady, and today is a special bonus episode of the podcast. And the reason for that is because I myself, as well as some of our other CGN leaders, we are currently in Ukraine with the Calvary Chapel Ukraine leaders, as well as cross-culture missions. And we're here for a conference. So today I'm joined by Zhenya Chakushkin. Hey, Zhenya. Hi. And uh, I want to introduce you to him because a uh, wonderful man and doing great things, leading some awesome things here in Ukraine. So Zhenya, welcome, and please introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi. So, yeah, my name is Zhenya, as Nick, you mentioned already, and I'm a, a pastor in Ternopil. And uh, from, like, from very beginning of war, kind of became in the connection point to other Calvary Chapel pastors and leaders throughout the country. Great. So tell our listeners a little bit about where we are, what we're doing this week, and mm -hmm. why it's needed and beneficial. So as probably many of you know, we just had a one-year anniversary since the full-scale war in Ukraine. It's been eight years, close to nine years altogether, but full-scale war a year. And all of the people that Calvary Chapel pastors, leaders, volunteers, they've been serving, some of them 24-7, some of them most of their day, serving people, serving refugees, providing any kinds of care and a lot of those people are on the edge or already burnt out. And we wanted to make a conference, a retreat, a place where they can come outside of their churches, outside of their cities, where they can come and just take a breath and find other people that are going through the same things as they are. And at the same time, pray together, have good meals, enjoy their time, spend time with their families, do something for themselves. And alongside with that, we, we have counselors that came that serve in that sphere, trying to recoup people and find ways they can be restored. Also, CGN, you, Nick, you are sharing word with us. You're encouraging us to come to the Lord no matter what, no matter the circumstances, be sincere, be open. So 
all of that serves that purpose. So this conference is for that. We have about 160 people with kids that came and all of those people are actively involved in serving refugees. Now, we had some attacks overnight in Ukraine. Where we're at, we're on the far west of Ukraine. And so we weren't in danger here, but many of the people who are here, I mean, these bombs, missiles hit in regions where they live. Yeah. And I think one of the things that people perhaps maybe don't really understand because it's not something they see every day is that this is not something that is resolved. This is ongoing. And as a result of that, it results in like ongoing trauma. I mean, that's probably the right word. Yeah. I currently is located in Western Ukraine as well. And our city, city of Ternopil is quite safe. I, I might say we had several times that rockets would flew through Ternopil and they were hit and pieces of rockets would fall in Ternopil, but we never had any major attacks. However, today in our region, there's five missiles that came through tonight as we're here. So, and we, on the news, the army report is giving that there was 49 missiles that went through Ukraine today and 34 of them were hit. So it's okay, but pieces of it still bring harm. Right. Like the missiles were intercepted by yes. anti-missile Anti -missile, system, yeah. mm -hmm. systems, yeah. but, but others of them got through, but even when they explode in the air, the debris is falling and hitting things. Yes. And this is our weekly thing. It's happening every, well, not, maybe not every week. Some regions it's every week, some cities it's every day. And not talking about East where it's a full scale war still raging. And every day we receive news of people being killed on our end, bodies are coming back and funerals are happening every day. So all of that, it's still continue. It's not, it's not stopping. It's just changed a way of things are done. It's different from where it was in the beginning in February, March of last year. Yeah. You know, I, we just had the one year anniversary of the war and last year we were actually scheduled for many years now. We've been doing every year, the first week of March, we've been leadership conference for Calvary chapels in Ukraine. And last year we actually had tickets. We were prepared to come. And then the war came and everything changed. And so this year, on the one-year anniversary, we were able to have this conference, which isn't specifically a leadership conference. It's more than that, but also there's some leadership aspects involved. And I, I've noticed a sense of kind of celebration. It's, it's a somber celebration, but yet celebratory in the fact that everyone is together again. Many of these people from different cities seeing each other, worshiping together. That's been very encouraging. But one thing that's come to my mind that I've realized as we've been having meals together and talking with everyone is that the way people think about church has changed as a result, not only of the war, but as a result of the response in the wake of the war by Christians. Mm -hmm. And here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that the way that people think about church, both as Christians, but also the way that non-Christians think about church has changed. Maybe could you speak about that? Like what was the church's response in the wake of it? Tell us some stories about 
that. Thank you for asking this question because it's it's very relevant, very much so. I probably will start with a story first, and then and then I'll give a broader explanation of what happened. So the story that I want to share is actually from Ternopil. We have. For the past 15 to 20 years, we've been having pastors' meetings every month where we would get together and we would either plan something or just get together to kind of update on what's going on in our churches. And that's for all Protestant churches that are located in our city, which is about, at, in the beginning, it was about 20, now it's about 38 to 40 churches that are there. And before I think it was three days before the war. The guy who is, uh, he's a business owner and he's an influential guy in the city, but he was uh, one of the leaders in one of the Baptist churches in our city. He said, guys, we need to have a scenario. What if? Nothing related to cartoons, but it's what if. What if, if something happens? So uh, we got together, we prayed about it, and, and we started talking like, hey, this is what we can do. First thing we said, let's do interchurch prayer. Just one night, get together. Some pastors would come up, share. Pastors will pray and things like that. So people, congregation could know that we could do that. Also, hey, what do you have? Somebody said, I have like half of a container of mattresses. Some, somebody said, I have like really disposable plates that I have a bulk of it. I can like... Somebody said, hey, I have potatoes. Somebody said, yeah, we have, we've been saving fuel just in case, and we have diesel. And things like that. So basically every church, and our church, Calvary Chapel Chernobyl, we said, hey, we have a building. We have a house. It's not big, but we have a house, and we can host people. And all of those things, we kind of got together, and we had it in mind. We never thought that it would be that fast. Three days later, actually two days later, in the evening, it was February 23rd, we got together in one of the local churches, larger facility, and we and it was a prayer meeting. Amazing time, time of worship, time of prayer, intercession for Ukraine. We got out on the stage, all the pastors, and we prayed for people, we prayed for Ukraine, we prayed, prayed for peace, we prayed for all of those things, and then we went home. And at night, most of us woke up. And... We were puzzled. Uh, me personally, I was, I was, it wasn't panic, but it was a complete confusion, not knowing what to do. Like, even though kind of knew about it, but not knowing what to do. And then seven in the morning, I receive a text in the group of pastors. We get together again and we talk, not what if, we talk, it is here. What can we do? From day one, Protestant churches all together as one entity, not as separate churches. We worked as one body of Christ in Ternopil. We were ready, and later, about three weeks later into everything, the mayor of the city got together with us. He came to us, to our meeting, and he said, Guys, I, I want to thank you. You were ready. We were not. And over that period of time, talking about Ternopil, for Protestant churches, we received more than 70,000 people that were coming in waves, were coming through Ternopil where we could house them, give them three days of time where they can kind of recoup, see what they can do next. Are they going through the border? 
are they staying, are they moving to another city, or are they coming back to their own city? But those three days, they could stay in one location, and then they would move on. And those were, in our, in our church, we had about close to 800 people that came through, because our capacity, maximum capacity, was about 65 people. Sometimes it would be 70 to 75 because people would share one small tiny mattress two people three people so we had to come up with something our church volunteers people that wanted to serve they came they came together they started do whatever they can our basic basic task were feed people change their sheets when they leave wash them make sure that they have everything come up with a supply chain talk to the we, we we didn't have any kitchen in our church to cook meals so we contacted restaurants that provided a free free meals so basically that was but that's one story that's exactly one story from one city i mean every city had something some churches yes they were relocated they had to go because it was Kiev. They had to go. It was Kharkiv. They had to go. It was other locations. They had to go. We understand that, and that was okay for that period of time because we could. We were in a peaceful, more peaceful environment. But like for instance, Svitlovodsk, it's a it's a church where they decided they want to do, and they were on the breaking point because a lot of cars were going through Svitlovodsk. And it would be their stopping point before going to Western Ukraine. And they served, I know that they are still continue serving, feeding people 2,000, 2,500 people monthly. I mean, that's amazing. Amazing to see what is continuing to do. And basically, that, that was our response. It was natural. It was nothing like we need to do something to prove ourselves that we are for people and we are with people. No, we have, you have a need. We have some kind of an answer. Sometimes it was literally some kind of an answer. It wasn't an answer. And we just want to just uh, love of Christ, just loving on people, embracing them, feeding them. Oftentimes we never even talk to people like because there was no time. People would come through. And it was emotion. They were emotionally traumatized. I remember one time one lady came in, and we. It was like so. You know, guys, our church is under construction, and under being under construction, we we wanted to have shower. We wanted to have a place where people can take a shower, but it was always like, well, we we we're not living there. It's not urgent. We can wait. It was we can wait. We can wait. And it's it it's been going for that for about, I don't know, maybe two, two and a half years. And then when people started coming, all, most of them came dirty clothes, filthy. They had to stay in the traffic for days, no washing, anything, only white napkins if they had those. So we wanted to make sure we have a shower. In one day, shower was there. In one day, we, we added additional toilet. In one day, there were two rooms that were not completely ready. It was a mess. It was carpeted. Mattresses were on the floor. Everything was ha happening. And there was different people came and said, hey, how can I help? There's one guy who repairs buildings. He came to us and he's like, I see people are coming and I see your building is not finished. Is there anything I can do? He brought his own materials. He brought his own things. And he never even charged us for this because he felt like we're doing the work and he wants to be a part of it. And 
we have people, we have people, every church have people where non-believers would come, non-Christian people would come, they would stay, they would stay overnight, and then next day they would say, hey, I want to help. I want to stay here and I want to volunteer with you guys. Yeah, and so really the way, as you're saying, that people think about church has changed. The Christians in the church, they're not seeing church as a place where you serve on Sundays or a place where you go to worship on Sundays, but now church is every day and we're serving people and we're living out the implications of the gospel, learning what it means to be the body of Christ in the world, but also from outsiders who are not members of the church. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that probably most of the people you served are people who are not born again Christians. Yeah. And, and here they get to experience a church and the love of Christ. And that's changing their perception of what the church is and how the church feels about people like them who don't necessarily believe the same things or worship the same God. And I've seen it to be the case in many places in the world where there have been big needs and the body of Christ is ready and active to step up. And it's almost like sometimes these kinds of events draw out of us what God has called us to be. And these are the times when we can really live that out and have a strong witness. I've heard other stories, and I want to just tell our listeners now that we're preparing a few other short episodes that are going to play on a separate feed of stories of people that we're going to record at this conference telling about how God has used the situation in their area, people who've gotten saved through these events and things like that. So, Jenya, I think another thing that I want people to know about is the ongoing need that your church has, that the Calvary chapels in Ukraine have. Tell us about some of the things that are going on. For example, I know that one pastor has gone back to his city, which is in northeastern Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about things that are going on right now and what needs exist. Okay, thank you. Again, the war continues and resources are few. We come up with creative ideas of how we can navigate, but resources are few and there's so much we can do. Even though we don't have waves of refugees that are going through our cities, not all of our cities. Svetlovodsk, I know they're still continue doing it because they are on that on that bridge. They're they're the bridge between those areas where active war is happening and the, the kind of like a peaceful it's not peaceful, but Kind of. So we still continue, like Internopol and other cities. I know Ternopol, Priluki, Kaharlik, Svitlovodsk, like all of those cities, they're serving every day by providing meals. They're serving every day by providing food packages, hygiene products. They're serving some churches give away clothes because some people still have that need. There's a lot of counseling going on and oftentimes counseling that is not professional. Just ears to listen, pray with people. And sometimes there is a huge demand of actually knowing how, knowing what to say, what questions to ask, what questions not to ask. And uh, so we still have that need. We still want to provide, but we also, at the same time, we're helping Pipriluki Church. For instance, one of the church, they have a humanitarian warehouse where they would every day or every week, sometimes it depends, they take a load of, load of van of stuff and they go to the areas that were under occupation and just got freed. And they would bring food, they would bring furnaces, they would bring heating stoves, they would bring Starlinks, they would bring generators, whatever they can, 
to ease the life of people because some people are staying there. They're not leaving. It's their home. They don't want to leave. They don't want to abandon what they had, even though it's destroyed, even though it's in bad conditions or anything. There's no, it could be no electricity. It could be no lights. It could be no water. Like this is the reality. But at the same time, they're, they don't want to leave. They want to stay there. So when we see that need, we want to provide that need. Medical support, this is a huge one. Because even though pharmacies are open and you can go and buy, but prices are up, people don't have income. Economy is in the rock bottom. So all of that, people can't provide. Even though the government does its best to give any kind of support, financial support or whatever, but it's not enough. It's not enough. And if we can be that place of, you know, people can come and say, hey, I have a need. And we can say, hey, we don't have an answer, but God has. And we can do it together. This is something that we can continue. We can continue to serve people. Yeah, and I know that one of our pastors, he came, he was in Nizhyn, yeah. which is like northeastern Ukraine, Mm-hmm. near the region. It's in the region of Chernigiv. Yes. And so he came, initially he was with you guys for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, And now he's gone back. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. So this is Vadim and Tanya Kotolonets. It's a family. He's a pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor in Nizhyn. And their city was under occupation. First or second week of war, they moved, they relocated from the city to the village where they were hiding. And and there was, I think there was 12 or 15 I need to clarify that. I'm not sure. But if you're going to have that separate feed with ans- mm-hmm. asking questions, I know that Tanya Kotelinets yes. will be one of those people, and she probably will say a better story. But they had to do something. And they, at first, they didn't want to move. They wanted to stay. They wanted to be there. Taking care of their kids and taking care of their family, they needed to relocate. At first, they were thinking that they're going to be going to this area where the conference is happening, which is Transcarpathian, it's close to, to the border. But they came through Ternopil, and they stayed a night or two nights in Ternopil, and they knew that there is a Calvary Chapel in Ternopil. So they came, Vadim came to talk to me. We had a long conversation, and I was excited. I was like, yes, Vadim, please, we can do it together. He's like, yeah, it's better for me to stick with the church that I know and maybe we could do something together. And we, but when I said, let's do it together, he's like, can I take a break? Because he had so much stress throughout his life, but also the last few weeks that he couldn't, he, he just can't serve. He needs to be served. And I said, yes, definitely. Let's, let's just, and for nine months, he was there. And we, we became, I, I honestly can say, one of the best friends. He's one of my best friends right now. He's the guy that I'm accountable to, and he's accountable to me. And we, we talk weekly. We make decisions. Sometimes when he got back to Nizhyn after nine months being in Ternopil, and now he, he, he's a bit by himself. Like There's not many people that he can serve along. But at the same time, he's, they're doing some amazing work. And, but sometimes he needs that call. He needs that encouragement. So we, we continue to talk. So when they got back to Nizhyn, at first they, we talked about it. And he's like, well, I want to come back. And I'm not eager into, into ministry right away. I need to kind of find my way. 
I said, definitely take your time, whatever, whatever is needed. I think it was evening of they got back. He was already in the ministry because there's so many needs. There's so many people, refugees that came to Nizhen and their church, they had food products. They had something that they could provide for people as an answer to their need. And they started doing that. First, it was delivering. He was take his own car and he would drive to locations and would just bring food packages and he would always have food food packages in his trunk so that he could deliver it to people in need but then people started asking questions like hey where is what are you doing why are you doing that he started inviting people to the fellowship where people can come and just in the circle they just discuss different topics they just talk about things he, and first two or three meetings for them it was them not saying a word. They would just be, hey, what's your story? And then they would cry, a lot of cry. And now they're continuing, they're not stopping, even though Vadim didn't came here. And there's mul multiple reasons why he didn't came to this retreat. And one of the reasons is he couldn't leave, leave people behind because there's so many people that he wants to, and he has that heart to continue serving them, to continue pouring what he has to, to, to those people. And I mean, now they're also looking into serving widows because in their city, there's a lot of killed soldiers, men who were killed during the war. And they're looking in, into this as an, another opportunity to serve. Wow. Amazing. So tell us a little bit more about your leadership of Calvary Chapel in Ukraine. You've alluded to it a few times about how you're you know, encouraging, you're keeping in touch with everyone. I've heard you talking about this week, you know, one hour, two hour phone calls that you're regularly making. So what is leadership of Calvary Chapel Ukraine and, and what is the state of Calvary Chapel Ukraine at this point? In the beginning of war, we had communication prior to the war. We had communication, we, we've done conferences, there was friendships built and it was mostly on the personal level. If we are friends, we can call each other and support each other. But when war started, everyone were so busy that we kind of lost each other. And one thing that happened, I think it was three or four months into the war, where one of the Priluki church called me. And they're like, I knew because we were helping them through, through the fund that San Diego had, gathering resources through Whitefields, through your fund that you guys gathered. I knew that we had some resources that available and we would send them to Priluki Church. We would send them some finances to cover their expenses that they had. But at the same time, they called me and they're like, can we be in communication? Because we see other churches in the city where they have unions, they have some sort of associations where they can come and kind of be accountable to, but at the same time receive support, spiritual support. And I was heartbroken. Honestly, I was heartbroken because I did not... I. I I couldn't imagine that this is such a big deal. So I started talking to them and I realized, hey, they need support. What can we do? What can we do? And at the same time, in Ternopil, we had first service that we did. It was a month into the war. First couple of Sundays, it was just um, weeping, crying, praying. We haven't had any sermon. We haven't had any worship. It was just that. We would get together to pray, to weep and then leave and do whatever we need to do. And then first service we did, I look around and I see a national conference. 
in the small capacity because we have people from Nizhny, we have people from Prilukia, we have people from Chernihiv, we have people from Kiev, we have people from Zaporizhia and other cities, and they're all together in our church. It's something our listeners might not know is that it's really common in Europe and maybe in smaller countries and other places as well to have national conferences where everybody from the churches they get together. I know it's a big deal in Ukraine. You guys, every year, it's like a big celebratory event yeah. that you've always done. Yeah. And so what you're saying is that you looked at your own church and there were people there from all these other cities who had come together there. Yeah, yeah. And looking in that, again, my heart is broken, is we are together. We're not alone. So I started, I started reaching out to pastors and started reaching out to people that I know. Sometimes it would not be pastors. It would be people that I just came across. And talking to them, I realized that a lot of churches are being, um, I won't say offended, but they felt isolated and that they're by themselves and they have to fight in this fight alone and no no i can't we can't because calvary chapel is a family it's always was and it will always be it's a family family of churches yeah every church is independent and we we have our own things the envisions and and things that god is using us in our city in our culture but at the same time we're family all over the world not only in ukraine so I started thinking, okay, let's do, first thing we did, it was, is a small retreat for volunteers. It wasn't leaders, it was volunteers, people that are serving, that have their hands on. And there were several churches that came throughout Ukraine. It was Priluki, Nizhen, uh, and some other church in Ternopil. And we did it in our, not, not too far away from us. Amazing. People got together, we cried, we worshipped. It was two days only, only one night we stayed at the hotel. But it was heartbreaking. And God put on my heart and the heart of our church is to how can we serve? Because I shared with our elders in our church, I said, guys, what do you think? What is? What are your thoughts? And I remember one of our, she's actually one of our administrators or the administrator of the church, she said, you know what? I was praying about that. What can we do as a church? How can we serve not only our city, but how can we serve global, like nationally? How can we serve to other churches? Can we do something? It's not that we have an answer. It's not we, that our church is perfect. No, we, we're, not, we're far away from perfect. But we ha God is putting that heart inside of us. How can we help? And we started reaching out. So we started traveling. I started going to churches, meeting people, reconnecting with pastors. And my first, and the sometimes it would be the only thing I needed to say is like, guys, you're not alone. We are together. We are doing it together. And as we started, we renewed something that we've been done before the war as a prayer meeting, monthly prayer meeting over Zoom. We started doing, I, I started talking to people on the phone. I would receive calls. I would call pastors and leaders and would spend some amount of time of just encouraging or just listening or just praying with people. And, and all of that kind of gave an understanding, okay, what if the war ends today? What's next? And I sat down 
me and my wife, we sat down and we started talking and we don't know the answer. I called my friends, elders of our church. I called Vadim and Tanya Kotulanez. They were still in Ternopil. I asked some other people. I asked John. He was in the States at that time. I asked Aaron. He was, I think he was in the States at that time as well. Paul Billings, Jed Gurley, Phil Metzger, Mike Payne. All of those people. I'm like, what can we do? What can we do? What is the next step? And I real and we realized praying, we realized it's war ends and then another war begins. Not physical, but rebuilding. And that's a battle. It, and that's a battle that's not gonna last for a year. This is a battle for years, maybe decades. And that that leads to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is so people wherever they are listening to this, how can they be praying for you? And how can they be praying for Ukraine? How can they be praying for Calvary Chapel, Ukraine? Sometimes I have this question for people. It's a weird question. Uh, I know for some cultures, it's actually offending question, but I'll still say it. Sometimes I would come to a leader or a pastor or just a random person. I would say, hey, do you have a plan for your life? If you don't, I have it. <laughs> because again there's a lot of work to do there's a lot of things that we want to we want to serve our communities it's about showing the love of Christ it's about showing what Christ and relationship with him is all about it's not about coming to Sunday service it's not about coming to a Bible study it's not about coming to a prayer meeting it's not about doing the Sunday school it's about relationships it's about knowing that somebody care and looking at ourselves and maybe i'm preaching here but christ is that for us he is he doesn't demand of us sunday service he doesn't demand of us the, all of those things he wants relationships he wants relationships with us individually as a community as a city as a country so we want to be that we want to be, Calvary Chapel Ukraine wants to serve our communities. We want to serve people that God placed us to serve. And we look for ways. We try to find anything that would work. For instance, one of the things and one of the instruments that we are trying to implement right now is national-wide school of ministry to prepare leaders, to equip new guys, to equip guys that are serving, but they need that renew support and strengthen existing church and to plant new churches as well because many people were displaced there in a different city and some of them contacted me and they said hey i want to start a church a bible study i want to build something that i already have i already have relationships i would like to but i don't know how i don't i, I don't feel like i'm a pastor i don't feel like i'm a minister i don't feel like i have what it takes and hey you have. All of us have. We have what it takes. It's just maybe just a, a hint or a push, a little push, like this is what you can do and here's who can help. So and the idea is to con that churches would be connected and that they would be serving each other, that they would be helping each other, that they would be equipping each other. And with school and ministry, that they would be helping those people that are there, that are going through the training, and that it would be practically applicable to anything. 
we continue to serve with needs. We continue to provide meals. We continue to provide medical support in terms of medicine. Sometimes it's medical support, physical medical support, mental support, praying with people, being there for people, providing those needs. All of these things that you describe, like a school of ministry, but also, you know, providing for physical needs, like you have been in many of the churches, including yours, obviously these things cost money. And here's one thing I've noticed being on my side of things is that initially, like when the war, this is very much in the forefront of people's minds in the West, and they're thinking about it a lot and asking how they can contribute and donate and support. And there was a huge wave of generosity. But we know how this always tends to happen with, with everything, right? It's just that it becomes one thing out of sight, out of mind. You're yeah. not seeing it as much in the news because mm -hmm. it's ongoing. It's no longer new. And so there can be this tendency for people to maybe not think about it anymore and maybe not realize that there's an ongoing need. And as you said, even if the war ends, which it's not about to, but if, if the war were to end soon, there is still going to be massive need for support, partnership. And I say partnership because it's not like you're just asking for money. But here's, here's the thing is, we are a body of Christ. And I think this is something you're pointing out, that we as Calvary Chapel, we're a family. You're a family of Calvary Chapels in Ukraine, but you're part of this global family of churches with Calvary. And that's a really big deal. Where I live, you know, in Colorado particularly, our culture is all about independence. Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know what, independence can be a virtue sometimes, but there are other times when it's time to say, okay, well now we need to have another virtue, mm -hmm. which is unity and camaraderie. Mm -hmm. These are also important virtues and they're biblical virtues mm -hmm. and they're really important. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3, it says that the church of the living God is the household of God. The household is a big family. Mm -hmm. And in a big family, you know, I'll tell you this. When I first came to Europe, this was in early two, uh, 2001, I first came to Europe. I came to Hungary, and there was a conference at that time for Calvary chapels in Hungary and in Ukraine. The Ukrainians had come down to Budapest at the time in big buses, and we had this big conference in Budapest. I was a guest at the time. Shortly after that, I ended up moving to Hungary and living there for over 10 years as a missionary and all of that. But you know, the reason why I went to Hungary was because at that conference, it was like I realized something for the first time. It was something I knew maybe in theory, but I really understood it, which is that we are part of this global body of Christ. And as members of this body, we have, and I, I don't say this in a, a heavy way, I say this like in a, in a positive way, we have an obligation mm -hmm. to one another, mm -hmm. right? We, we belong together and we have this, this holy, good, positive obligation to one another as brothers and sisters. And uh, I would just want our listeners to know we're family and family serves each other and helps each other and partners together. And so I would just say, with all these needs, there's really great opportunities for partnership and their ongoing needs, and they're not going to stop anytime soon. It's so true. First of all, I wanted to kind of take a pause and say thank you. Mm. Because it's, it's, it's heartbreaking knowing that you're not by yourself. I've been messaging that to our local leaders 
but I know that because we're not by ourselves. Because I know you guys are behind. I know that I can message you, I can write an email, and I can say, hey, I need prayer. We need prayer. Hey, there's a need. Pray for that. And right away, I know that hundreds of people, thousands of people are getting together and they're praying. And you know what? God is answering in various ways. Sometimes he's answering through sources that we don't know. But oftentimes, it through you guys. And I truly, truly, from the bottom of our hearts, our hearts, all of the leaders, all of the pastors in Ukraine, people of Ukraine, thank you. It's it's a blood. It's a, it's you don't you can't even imagine how big it is, because this is this is the life you're bringing back life. Those little things, smiles on children's faces when they receive a chocolate that somebody provided. Somebody provided for that. So, but understanding also understanding that you know what yes we are fighting yes this is ukraine this is something that ukraine is going through but no there's people that are behind and they are praying and they are supporting and they are loving they're they doing what they can and this is huge for us knowing that it's not our own personal thing. It's it's our family. It's we are we are intentional about it. We want to be a support, be a blessing to one another, and and we want to, we need to encourage that in Calvary chapels. We need to encourage that because this is something that we always were. I'm looking into the history of Calvary Chapel. I'm I'm, I'm by the way I'm I'm relatively new in Calvary Chapel the past 15 years that's that's the that's the amount that I was in Calvary Chapel even though I knew about it for years but just learning about it seeing that all that all the history we could see that people are united in one cause we want to bring Christ to our people we want to share the gospel we want to bring the gospel and what is the gospel that's all of it that's all what we discussed just now. Physical, spiritual, emotional, moral, all of that. And if we can bring Christ into every all of those spheres, we are actually disciples of Christ, followers of mm. Christ, like in the Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples. That's exactly what is happening. That's exactly what we are doing. And, and, and it's not... It, oh, it, it's happening in Ukraine, or it's happening in the States, or it's happening in any other country. No, it's our thing. It's a family thing. It's a family matter. And we as a family, united in Christ, we can continue sharing that love. Really, really well said. Thank you. And I would just tell anybody out there, if you want to give financially, we have a fund, and those monies will be dedicated to needs over here. So that is found at calvaryglobalnetwork.com slash give, and you can choose relief fund from the drop-down menu. And if you would like to get in touch with Zhenya or Calvary Chapel Ukraine, 
We would love to have you connect with them. And the best way to do that is email us at cgn at calvarychapel.com and we will put you in touch with people in that way. So, Genia, thank you so much. And listeners, please be praying for Genia. Please be praying for Calvary Chapel in Ukraine and consider how God might be moving you to be part of what he's doing, as you said, in this family matter. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us here, for making this conference possible. And I'm looking forward to what God has in, in plan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mission and Methods podcast. Keep an eye out for that special podcast we mentioned coming soon, featuring stories from CGN churches in Ukraine. We'll be back next week to our regular schedule. Until next time, God bless you.